Your pastors and three of your elders just got back from our general assembly. That's our annual gathering of our denomination. And uh, by the way, for those of you who saw some disturbing headlines this week about Presbyterians, we are not them. Um, We are the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and our general assembly was a combination of revival meeting and family reunion and a little bit of business thrown in, and it was a blessing, a blessing to be a part of 1,500 people who share a passion for Christ and a heart to reach the world and a, a treasuring of God's Word and a desire to obey it. That was our experience in this last week, and we come back more confirmed than ever before that God did a very kind thing when He brought us into the EPC two years uh, ago. This year's General Assembly was in Knoxville, Tennessee. So we had the double blessing of wandering around Megan, Pastor Megan's old stomping grounds. So we flew into Nashville, and that night we had dinner at B.B. King's. And then we drove to Chattanooga, where the Hackmans went to college. And we took a seven-mile bike tour of the city in 95-degree, 75 humidity. (laughs) But I needed it, because those Southerners don't exactly cook locale, if you know what I mean. I had dry rub ribs. I had fried pickles. I had shrimp and grits. I had catfish po' boy. And I had the biggest slab of carrot cake that you have ever seen. I've even learned what the five southern food groups are. Lard, butter, cream, sugar, and fried. (laughs) We also visited places where Megan and Larry worked while they were at school. We... um, we visited the breakfast or the uh, the bed and breakfast where they were indentured servants for a good portion of time, and we went to the coffee shop called Chats where Megan was a barista. And every stop along the way, they had wonderful reminiscences. But it was also a reminder of how glad they are that that's not what they do for a living, and that they have a career that they were able to pursue. You heard Dave playing about what happens on Monday mornings, and we've been talking a lot about work in these last few weeks. About God creating us to work, making us in the image of Himself, a, a working God. And we've talked about the definition of work, which is that when we do that, the world thrives and Jesus is glorified. The world thrives and Jesus is glorified. But the fact is we live in a broken world and things don't always go like they should in a broken world, including work. And so for these few weeks we've been talking about the reality of life in a broken world. How do we work in a broken and sinful world? And this morning I want to talk about what it's like to be sidelined. Because there are a lot of us who are unemployed or underemployed right here in this congregation. And if that doesn't describe you, that's okay. Listen up. Because they've been listening to us talking about your work for the last few weeks. Now it's a chance for you to listen up to what they are going through by not working or not working where they long to work. And these are your brothers and sisters and they are in a tough place and it's a chance for us to love and empathize and support them. So that's what we are about this morning. We're going to see what the gospel has to say to those who have been sidelined. Before I do that, I want to return briefly to Ellis's very strong message last week and it was that. You remember that James and John, remember they were, they were lobbying, they're trying to manipulate Jesus into giving them him giving them the positions of power in his kingdom, right? One's going to sit on the right and one's going to sit on the left and they had managed to even cut Peter out of the deal in their plan. Do you remember Jesus replied to them? He says, the rulers of this world, they rule by intimidation and by authority and by power. 
And he said essentially this, we don't do that. And then he pronounced what I think are the most profound leadership words you will hear from the lips of Christ. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The most profound leadership principle that you will find, and it summarizes, it epitomizes the ministry of Jesus Christ. We who follow Christ, including in the work world, are called to be leaders in a workplace, not by virtue of power or position, but through the counter-cultural influence of servant leadership. The world doesn't get that. But that is what we are called to be. We lead by caring for the person on our right and on our left. Exactly the opposite of the career path that James and John had set out for themselves. They didn't want to care for the people on the right and left. They wanted to be the people on the right and on the left of power. I mentioned this verse in some detail this morning because the very next story is our text for today. So, do you, have, do you understand that? We've just read about James and John jockeying for power, and now comes the very next passage in Mark's gospel. And it could not be a more vivid contrast. And I actually think that's why Mark put it here. We go from James and John, who are trying to negotiate their corner offices, to blind Bartimaeus, who's sitting on a curb outside of the office building. You got the context? So let's turn to Mark chapter 10. Beginning verse 46. I'd like you to keep your Bibles open this morning because we're going to be looking at a lot of little snippets. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then they came to Jericho. That's Jesus and his followers. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. Aren't you glad that Jesus stops at those moments? Jesus stopped and he said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. I mean, just pause there. Last week, James and John said, we want you to do what we want you to do. Jesus now says, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Jesus, we call out to you today. Son of David, have mercy on us. And we pray that you will hear our prayer and, and you will bid us come to you. And you will heal and you will send us on our way and we won't be able to do anything but just keep following you because you, are the, the, you offer the words of life. So speak them to our hearts today in Christ's name. Amen. Most of you have seen... Uh, Bartimaeus was sidelined. We don't know how he became blind, 
But I think we can be pretty sure of this. It was never his dream to be a beggar. Don't you imagine? When he was growing up, he wasn't saying, gosh, I hope to be like that someday when he saw him along the side of the road. I, I really, that's my longing. Maybe he dreamed of being a farmer. Maybe he dreamed of being a lawyer. Maybe he dreamed of being a, a merchant or a, or a rabbi. We don't know when he lost his sight, but whenever it happened, it meant that whatever dreams he might have had for his future, whatever dreams he might have had for his career, they went dark too. Most of you know the musical Beauty and the Beast. Gig Harbor High put it on this year. It's the story of this self-centered prince who is turned into a monster by a spell cast by a, a sorceress. But not only him, but his entire waitstaff in his castle. And you know how they, these in, they become inanimate objects. A, a clock and a feather duster and a candelabra and a chest of drawers. And the, the longer the spell endures, the less able they are to do what they once did. And so they sing a song about it. The, the words go, life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving. He's not whole without a soul to wait upon. Ah, those good old days when we were useful. Suddenly, those good old days are gone. And it's a cute and clever song, and we can sing it with our French accent, just like Lumiere does. But it's not so cute and clever if it actually is a description of your life, is it? When for some reason you cannot do the work you long to do. When you feel like you've been pushed aside. When you feel like you've been stuck on the bench and forgotten and sidelined. Two weeks ago I sent an email out asking for you to share your story with me. For those of you who would. You who want to work but cannot work because of your physical limitations or layoffs or whatever other reason. So I just want to read a list of your responses, okay? This is several people. I've just kind of conflated them. Listen, this is you. I'm not drawing this from the internet. This is your story, church. In my 50s, I began to lose my vision. I wanted to work but could not. The limitations were stifling. When I moved, I lost my credentials. My work was a place for ministry to non-Christians. Consequently, it was a double loss of identity and ministry. I was in a desert place for four years. I was laid off, and in a nutshell, nobody wants a man in his 50s when you can hire kids right out of school and pay them a fraction of what I made. I remember being at the unemployment office and feeling like a big loser. My manager instructed me to do illegal things. I prayed about it and decided to follow the law, and I was fired in the middle of the recession. Here's another from a younger man. I feel often like the kid picked last when playing with friends. I have not yet had a job for more than several months, even while those younger than me find employment. And finally, I have been underemployed for almost two years now. I am 51 years old, and I have worked ever since I was 15. It is without a doubt the most frustrating experience I have ever had. And I wonder if I just don't fit in anymore. Those are very painful stories, aren't they? And many of you here this morning feel like Bartimaeus. You feel sidelined. Like you're sitting on the curb begging for crumbs even as you long to do something that is meaningful and fulfilling. 
Your health has stolen your ability to do the job you love. Or you feel as if your career has been stolen from you because of recession or downsizing or the dishonesty of a business partner. Or by a fast-changing industry that you're having trouble keeping up with. Let me just ask this. How many of you have been sidelined at some point in your career? So you know what this is like. It stinks, doesn't it? And if you are there right now and feeling unhappy and discouraged and depressed, may I just say to you, of course you do. Of course you feel unhappy and discouraged and depressed. You have the right to feel crummy about this. You were created by God to work, and yet you aren't doing what you sense you were created to do. You don't feel like you are fulfilling your destiny, and that is a natural thing to feel sad about. Unfortunately, the typical Christian response is to, to sorrow or to loss is to repress it. We hide it. We put on the big smiley face. We pretend it's okay and pronounce religious platitudes to cover up our pain. And this is phony and it is destructive and it is patently not Christian. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that you feel lousy about your present work situation. That's okay. The question is, what are you going to do about it? How do you move forward? And I think the gospel speaks to this. I think Bartimaeus speaks to what it feels like. He tells us a lot about what it means to be sidelined. And I I believe he can help us. So I want us to follow through and just see what Bartimaeus might teach us this morning. First of all, Bartimaeus teaches us to, to cry out persistently to Jesus. When Bartimaeus heard Jesus was nearby, he began to shout, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when others tried to shush him, he shouted all the louder. He was not going to be shushed. If you're miserable, if you long for something more than in, that you have in your work life, then go ahead. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out loudly and persistently and honestly and beg him for mercy. And when you think he's not listening, cry out louder. Don't let Jesus off the hook. There's a parable about a woman who pesters a judge. Remember this one? He, she pesters the judge so relentlessly that finally he gives her what she wants just to get her off his back. And Jesus says, that's good praying. So, get on Jesus' back and stay there. Cry out to Jesus and just keep crying out for mercy until he comes through. That is okay. Second, if you're on the sidelines right now, be careful whose voices you listen to. Be careful whose voices you listen to. Bartimaeus lived in a culture that viewed infirmity as God's judgment. Do you understand that? If one was blind, it must be because he had done something wrong or his parents had done something wrong. It really was kind of a Jewish version of karma. Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus and others like him were viewed as as sinners. That's what they were called. He was blind and penniless because he made God mad. And this explains why the crowd was so unsympathetic when Bartimaeus started shouting. Not only did they not help him, they were determined to shut him up and have him stay in his place. They had all kinds of rude advice for him. Advice on what was proper, advice on how to behave, advice on how to be silent, advice on how he had probably brought this all upon himself. I'll bet some of you can relate to this. If you're unemployed or underemployed, if you are seeking government assistance just to help your family survive, if your physical limitations have dragged on for months and then years, 
I'll bet you've heard voices, voices of judgment and criticism, haven't you? They go like this. What did he do wrong? He must not be trying hard enough. He must be lazy. He must be too picky. She, is she really that sick? She must have really made God mad to go through this. If you are on the sideline, there will be lots of people with lots of opinions and suggestions and even criticisms for you. Now, I would be careful not to dismiss them all because there are some who know you best and love you most who will have some good and perhaps hard counsel for you to hear. You better listen to somebody. But make it them. Be wise about the choices you listen to. Don't believe the voices that are saying you are worthless or hopeless or abandoned by God. Because if you do, you might, you might be intimidated into just keeping your seat on the sideline, never willing to take the risks that you must take if you're going to get back into the game. And that would be the next thought I would share with you. Be willing to take some risks. It was risky to disrupt the crowd with his shouts. When, when Jesus stopped and called for him, Bartimaeus' behavior got even more risky. Did you notice what he did? Remember, this guy's blind. He made his living by sitting in a particular spot, wrapped in a particular robe, receiving the charity of those who pitied him as they went by, who knew he would be sitting there every day. But when Bart hears that Jesus wants to see him, he throws caution to the wind. He jumps up. He casts his cloak aside. And he allows himself to be led to Jesus. Think about that for a moment. There were no guarantees of a different future for Bartimaeus. He didn't know that he was going to be given his sight. He took a risk in abandoning his favorite begging spot and throwing his cloak aside. How would he get the spot back again? How would he know that someone might not steal that cloak and run away with it? There were no guarantees at all. That Bartimaeus had reached the point of desperation where when he thought he had heard the voice of Jesus, he was ready to risk it all and go for it. If you want to get off the sidelines, there might be a time when risky courage is called for. Despite what voices might be saying to you, if you hear the voice of Jesus calling, are you prepared to let go of that which is familiar? Prepared to dump your old ways of doing things on the chance that Christ might have something new and better for you? In fact, are you willing to change entirely what you do? Bartimaeus was ready to give up the only thing he was good at. The only thing he thought he could do on the chance that there might be something different. Something better that he had never imagined before. It is possible that what you think is your area of giftedness is in fact not. That you've been holding on to the wrong dream. It might be that you need to seek trustworthy advice about your own self-assumptions. You might need to do some career testing to find out if in fact the dream job you're holding out for would be a nightmare if you actually got it. Maybe God wants to reveal a new future to you. One of our women was working in a dead-end job with a custom home builder, but it stirred in her a newfound interest, and she went back to school and became an interior decorator, and she writes, I have a passion for what I'm doing now, and I'm excited to see how and where God will use my newly found work to enrich the world. There's that definition again. Maybe God in His grace 
is keeping you from the thing you once did because you don't do it as well as you think you do. Or it isn't as life-giving as you think it might be. Could it be that God has something very different and very much better for you? Now might be the time to take a risk. And it might mean eating humble pie. You could be wrong. What if Bart had been wrong? What if he had to go back and fumble around for his cloak and feel his way to find his spot again? It could have been humiliating. But he reached the point where a new future was worth the risk. And then this. Understand that your supreme vocation is to follow Jesus wherever he might lead. That is your supreme vocation. I think there's a reason that Mark puts these two stories together because they are such a stark contrast. James and John wanted to partner with Jesus. Do you sense that? The hubris of that? They wanted to pal around with Jesus. They wanted to benefit from their relationship with him by receiving positions of power and authority. But when Jesus heals Bartimaeus and says, Now, go, your faith has healed you. Do you notice what Bartimaeus does? He doesn't go. He follows. He followed him along the road, we are told. He had no idea where Jesus might lead. As it turns out, it was going to lead to Jerusalem and death and resurrection and all kinds of craziness. But he knew that the only way to real life and real significance, whatever his vocation, was to make sure that from now on he never lost sight of Jesus. He didn't want to make Jesus his business partner. He wanted to make him the boss. And he was willing to follow him wherever he led. Maybe your faith in Christ has never played a particularly significant role in your work life. Maybe your spiritual and your secular worlds have always been separated by your choice. And maybe Jesus wants to change that about you. Wants you to submit to Him as Lord over everything, including your job. And finally this, I would say, however you may feel, you are never sidelined as far as Jesus is concerned. Never sidelined in the work of the kingdom. There is no bench in the work of the kingdom. Think about it. What was Bartimaeus doing when he cried out to Jesus from the curb of his helplessness? What was he doing? He was bearing witness to Christ, wasn't he? Son of David, have mercy on me. What was he saying? Every Jew knew what he was saying. He was declaring Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, the one who would come in the name of Almighty God. Even as he sat there, kicked to the curb by a society that didn't think him worthwhile, he used that hopeless situation as an opportunity to proclaim to the world who Jesus really was. Many of you have done the same thing in your sideline season. One man whose back surgeries left him in chronic pain in our church. He was unable to work. He dedicated himself to the study of God's Word. And he started a Bible study that has continued to this day and blessed many people. There's another man who had an accident that resulted in a debilitating neurological condition. He got fired for it. And then he decided to pour himself into the lives of the teenagers of this church. And hundreds of kids have been blessed by his ministry over the years. Listen, I know work matters, especially for men. I know it's a big part of who we are. It's one of the ways we feel productive and valued and significant. But remember again the definition of work. Work is doing something with what God has given you so that the world thrives and Jesus is glorified. 
Even if you're not drawing a paycheck right now, even if it seems that life has kicked you to the curb in the eyes of Jesus, you are not sidelined. Never. Jesus hears your cry as he always heard the cry of the person that society was trying to hush up and push down. He loves you and he thinks you're valuable enough to die for. Who knows what your future might hold career-wise, but in the meantime, if you decide to turn this season into an opportunity to proclaim to the world the goodness and the power and the love of Christ despite your circumstances, you may look back upon this time as some of the greatest work you ever did. Still, it takes the eyes of faith to see how God can use such a season for His good and glory. So following this service, and we're going to wrap up in a moment, I'm going to be up here to pray. Our, t- our, our prayer team will be here. I would love to have elders if you are up close and would like to join in this because I bet this will be a call. I want to, if you feel like this is you, sidelined, unemployed, underemployed, longing for something more, then come up here and we'll pray together the witness of the blind, unemployed Bartimaeus kicked to the curb which he shared with the whole world that day. We're going to pray that, Son of David, have mercy on me.